The teenager years are challenging for most of us in one way or another. Can you remember back to your adolescence? Yes. The many trials and traumas that we go through in order to grow up. It seems to me that the Joshua generation has a teenager element to it. There's something fresh and new about a Joshua generation. I'm referring to that successive generation under the leadership of Joshua, the apprentice of Moses, the new generation born in the wilderness, not in Egypt, but not yet into the promised land. But I'm also referring to us, to us, brothers and sisters. We are the Joshua generation. Now, you may think you're a long way from a teenager, or maybe you're not that far from being a teenager, or maybe you still are a teenager. But what I want to say is there's something about adolescence that is reflected in the Joshua generation. The trials and struggles, the strengths and growths. Well, this morning, as one of our little ones, Graciela, was sharing the scripture, she was sharing the word of the Lord to me. Isn't that wonderful that God, out of the mouth of a babe, would reveal his truth to me today? And he reminded me of a scripture that was given to me when I was a teenager. When I was in high school, during a turbulent time, my parents, faithful believers that they are, always encouraged me through their prayer and to pray, through the word and with the word. And I remember I received some card. I can't actually tell you, and it doesn't matter now, what the particular trauma was that I was going through. It would probably seem very mild if I told it to you anyway. But at the time, it seemed very severe to me. And that also is a thing of the teenage years. And that also is an aspect of the Joshua generation, that the giants we face look very large to us, but we must remember that God is greater. So my parents gave me a card to that effect. And in that card, there was a verse. And that verse was Isaiah 43.1. I have called you by name. You are mine. Fear not, because I've called you by name. You're mine. You hear, fear not, and you remember Joshua 1. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, neither be dismayed. So now the Lord says in Isaiah... I've called you by name, you are mine. Amen. Though you go through deep waters and great difficulty, I will be with you. Amen. Though you go through roaring rivers, you will not drown. I took that verse and I cut it out of that card and I, and I taped it to the inside of my bag in those days so that every time I opened my bag, Every time I pulled school books in and out of it, every time that I had any reason to get into that bag, which was what I was in and out of most of every day, I kept seeing that word, I'm with you, I've called you by name, I'm going to lead you through the rivers, and you won't drown. Amen. You know what else it's saying? You will go through rivers. You will go into deep waters. It says that there will be fires, but I'll lead you through the fires. So the Lord makes it clear there's challenge and you're going to feel like the challenge is so great that you're going to die. And it's not a crazy thought because roaring rivers and blazing fires are enough to kill you, but I am enough to save you, more than enough to deliver you through them. 
And so throughout my life, though, I must say, I kept that many years, that little slip of paper, even into my 20s. I don't know where it is now. It may be in a drawer somewhere. It's in my mind and in my heart. That, that word of the Lord will not depart from my mouth. I meditate in it. But he reminded me of it this morning. And he reminded me of it in the mouth of a little one. How precious. Remember, when you speak a verse, you have no idea what God is doing in the universe with that verse. But it's going places and doing things and speaking to people. So if a little child can teach me with that verse about God's presence today, so also are you a messenger of God to carry the word to people in need wherever you go. Simply speak the word. And God will do what he does through his word that does not return to him void. It also struck me that in all my preparations in the past couple of weeks for this message on Joshua chapters 3 and 4 about crossing the Jordan, that favored verse of mine from Isaiah 43.1 had not even occurred to me in that context, but it speaks about God saying, I'll bring you through the river. It is very specifically a remembrance memorial reference about Joshua and the Joshua generation crossing the Jordan. God, you are so good. You, you are so good and faithful to us. So today we come to cross the Jordan, friends, to cross into promise. Those words that the Lord spoke to us by his spirit this morning, saying, bring your need to me, bring your sickness to me, bring your debt to me, bring your dream to me. Those are all promises. Talaga? Promises of God. That's promised land. That's promised land. It is the place we enter into that God is calling us into. And there's a river to be crossed. There are borders and boundaries that are challenging to us. They are faith boundaries. What the Lord is saying is, if you'll trust in me, I'll give you the faith to cross those boundaries and borders and into my promises. So let's pray for faith today as we receive the word. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen our faith as we read your word. We ask that you would deepen our faith, Lord, as we receive your word. And we ask that you would give us the faith and the courage, Lord, to face the challenges and obstacles, the overflowing waters, the roaring fires, the giants, and face them, Lord, with peace and grace, knowing that where you have called, you will lead. We follow you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I want to first do a review of the book of Joshua to this point. We're in an extended series working through the book of Joshua and in this season of fruitfulness for PCF, which is what the Lord has said, so you can be sure that it's true. The Lord has also said, I'm calling you to remember what I have done in your lives. History. Will you say that? History. The book of Joshua is a history book. It is telling us what God has done. It's also showing us that even in the days of Joshua, he called them to remember what God had already done. Now, you and I can look at the book of Joshua and see what's more, what he had done through them. The heritage that they give to us, the heritage of faithfulness by which they entered into where God had called them. So, in Joshua, we remember what God has done, we look to where God is calling, and we trust God with hope for how he will help. Remembering God's past faithfulness, 
entering boldly into God's present promise and depending fully upon God because of his perpetual presence. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord spoke that to us through Pastora Venita this morning. Once again, a reminder of that promise of Jesus Christ. And it gives us hope, hope that does not disappoint. Now, we have seen these themes already played out in the first two chapters. In Joshua 1, we have this lesson. Say this with me. It's in the gold lettering there underlined. Be strong and courageous. Let's say that together loud and loudly. Be strong and courageous. That's a lesson for us to take away as a Joshua generation people. We are to be strong and courageous in the Lord. Joshua hears the call of the Lord to prepare the people of Israel to enter courageously into the promised land. They need courage because there's tough things to face. There's a river to be crossed, a river in flood stage, by the way. It's the worst time to cross the river. We'll talk more about that today. But it's also the best time. It's the right time because it's the time that God ordained. Sometimes God says, now, now is the time to do it. And you think, now is the worst time to do it. But the Lord knows better. And he wants to show miracles. There are cities with great fortified walls, but God will bring those down through the faith of his people. There are opponents to be faced, but God will give victory in this place of battles and blessings, the place of the promised land. So from Joshua chapter 1, we have some lessons, and I want to reiterate those. As we go forward, let's remember where we've been. First of all, courage comes from God's presence and his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is strength. Faith is courage. Trust in the Lord. Will you say that? Trust in the Lord. Follow his lead. Say that. Follow his lead. When we do so, our obedience actually makes us available for blessing. It doesn't mean that if you obey God, no bad thing will ever happen to you. In fact, God is saying, follow me into the river where the water goes over your head. God is saying, follow me into the battle where the enemy comes down with a bloodthirsty roar. God is saying, go into the fire. God is saying, take your stand when you are opposed. If you're standing in me, I'll stand with you. So it does not mean that everything will be easy but it does mean there will be blessing. And we are called to do it together. We are called to enter the promises together. Sometimes that's one of the hardest things, to do it together. Sometimes we feel like, boy, it'd be so much easier if I could just go it alone. And you know what? We experience that in church, but can we pause for a moment and recognize that that's not the only place where we feel that way? Who in marriage didn't feel sometimes like, boy, I could really go it better if I could go without this one. Who as a parent hasn't ever felt like, boy, I'm sorry I ever had you? No offense. Who as a child hasn't ever felt like, boy, I'm sorry you ever had me? I wish I could have been born to somebody else. Who in a workplace hasn't thought, I could do this job so much better if it weren't for these people around me, these people working for me, quote unquote, or these people lording it over me, quote unquote. In fact, the reality is as people, we tend to have trouble being united. But what the Lord says is, what is difficult for you is possible in me. But the Lord makes no compromise on this. You are to be one. Jesus praying one of his last earthly prayers with his dearest compatriots 
says, Lord, make them one even as you and I are one. That's a oneness that you and I can hardly imagine, but it is spoken over us by the Lord. So we are to serve God's people together and we are to serve his purposes together. Unity brings security, security in the Lord. Last week, we looked at Joshua chapter two and we were reminded to hope in God. Will you say that? Hope in God. So be strong and courageous and hope in God. Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, not born into God's people, not raised in a godly environment, exactly the opposite. A woman who had had a difficult life and a checkered past. A woman with a, with a disgraceful job and yet a woman with faith in God. She expressed her faith in God and she demonstrated her trust in his unexpected grace. She showed grace to others in his name because she believed that he, the Lord God of Israel, was the source of her salvation. She hoped in God and she believed rightly that she could count on God's goodness. You and I can too, not because we're worthy of it. None of us can boast about that. Not a single person in this room can say, well, I've really shown God how right he was to save me. I've really shown him how good I truly am. No, he's shown us his goodness and brings his goodness out in us, but he shows it through grace, his unexpected, unmerited grace. It is the God of grace who gracefully gives the warning of judgment, a warning that you and I as his followers are not entitled to ignore. You may say, well, that judgment no longer holds fear for me because I've trusted in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But that is not true for people who have not trusted in the Lord. And so that is why I say again today to anyone who has not yet put their trust in the God of Israel the way Rahab did, you should recognize what she recognized. Friend, without God, you are without hope. And that is not a cruel message. It's kind because it's true. But if you will receive the truth of that message, you can receive the Lord and then your hope will not disappoint. He will not fail you. God warns of coming judgment and we are called to do the same and to call other people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. God will bless us beyond our present trial. Our hope helps us to help others in his name. Rahab demonstrated that. She showed help to others because of her hope in the help of the Lord. Today, we come to Joshua chapters three and four. We're going to cover a little more ground today, and so we're going to try and do it a little bit more rapidly. But uh, covering ground is the right euphemistic phrase. It's the right phrase to use to describe it because that's exactly what the nation of Israel is about to do. They're about to cover ground with their tracks. Uh, It might be, wise to also acknowledge that God's about to uncover ground. He's going to split wide the the Jordan River and allow them to enter into the promised land. You and I are being called into a fresh territory of promise today as we learn about following God. Turn to the person next to you and say, we want to follow God. God. That's what I want too. Here's a message for the family. God has called me to shepherd this congregation, but I don't know where to go. I'm following him. And I do it 
to the best of my ability and according to the faith that he has given me. But I do it imperfectly. You've seen that many times over in many ways. Nevertheless, I am not calling you to follow me except to the degree that I am saying I'm following God. And if you will have that same heart in you, I want to follow God, then together let's enter into the promises. This is not an easy path. And none of us, I am quite confident, none of us in this room yet knows every step along the way except the one who is not only in this room, but over this room and in and over all things, which is our Lord God himself. The Father knows what the Father is doing. We follow the Father. Jesus came and revealed the Father to us. John chapter one says, no one had seen God at any time, but the Son revealed him to us. Jesus said, I only say what the Father gives me to say. I only do what the Father tells me to do. Not my will, said Jesus Christ, the Messiah, but yours. So you and I, we follow Christ. And in doing so, we are following God because Jesus Christ is the living God. A human being just like us, though, who also understands all of our temptations. And yet, he is without sin. Now his sinlessness is imparted to us. We follow God in him together. The Lord leads his people. He's leading us. He is leading us. Should we ever doubt it? Listen, if the Lord could lead the children of Israel through a roaring river and into a hostile land and give it to them, the Lord can lead people in Los Angeles today. Amen. It's not too hard for him. Amen. And you might say, well, then he should do a better job of it. I'm sure what he would say to us is you should do a better job of following. And so today we say, Lord, help us to follow you. Amen. Help us to cross over our Jordan River whatever those waters may be in your lives, in this church, in this city. But we do so with God's presence and the presence of his promise. The Ark of the Covenant is what they carry in order to cross the Jordan, heading into the land of God's promises. In the process, there are three things that I want us to look at in these chapters today. One is to consecrate. On Friday night, I spoke at our prayer meeting and we looked at that moment in Acts chapter 1 when the disciples have just watched Jesus enter into the glory cloud of God's presence, that very cloud that hung over the tabernacle, that hung over the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God was seated, the mercy seat of God between the cherubim angels, that is where the glory cloud would come and, and uh, hover over. When Solomon dedicated the temple, the glory cloud entered into the temple and into the most holy place and abided over that mercy seat. That's what they carried into the river. By carrying the covenant of God, what God was showing them was he was carrying them. He was guiding them. And so also with you and I, but there's a need to consecrate. Now Jesus going up into heaven in Acts chapter one is going into that glory cloud presence of God, but he has said, there's a promise of Holy Spirit fullness from the Father coming to you. Wait. Wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father and you will be my witnesses empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the testimony, to proclaim the word, the good news. So you and I, we are called not just to wait, but to consecrate. When they were waiting, they waited together in one accord. As I said in our ministry team meeting yesterday, that doesn't mean they all crowded into a Honda. It means that they were waiting in agreement 
in unity. There's power in our unity to consecrate our community. We, as we live our lives, must attend to the purity of our lives. None of us can perfect ourselves, but we should remember that God calls us to be perfected, even as he is perfect, and he's the one that will do it. As we consecrate, he, through our dedication, will purify. So we participate together in that consecration. We participate together in the covenant of God. And we commemorate how God faithfully follows through on his covenant. The consecration is one unto participation in the covenant. And commemoration is simply us remembering what God has done. Consecrate. We prepare in purity for where God is leading us. Participate. We enter into God's promise together as one body in Christ and commemorate. We remember, we reflect upon, we repeat and reiterate God's works and words in our world. Graciela this morning commemorated Isaiah 43.1 for me. I commemorated it for you. Now you go and commemorate it for someone else. You take that word and apply it into the world of your sphere of influence. And in that way, you also will be proclaiming the goodness of God and entering promised land. Here on the map is the physical promised land. We spiritualize a lot of this because the lessons for us are spiritual. You and I are not standing on the banks of the Jordan River today. We are not preparing to cross over that river into that land. But you can go there, and many in this room have been there. I'm among them. I've not only stood on the banks of the Jordan, I've been baptized in it. And maybe you have too. Now, that doesn't particularly uh, qualify me for anything except maybe a nice slideshow for you sometime uh, if anybody watches slideshows anymore. But it is worth remembering this. These promises that God made to the Joshua generation, they were real places, real promises to real people, real battles, real threat, real water, a real ark, real tablets inside of that ark. It's important for us to remember this is real history if we are going to recognize the real application to our reality today. So here's the real land that God was talking about. And as we've mentioned, Joshua, the book of Joshua describes three military campaigns, one in the central region, which we are into now in chapters two through nine, then the southern and northern campaigns we come to later. So we've already talked about the beginning of the central campaign, which is when spies were sent into Jericho. We talked about that last week. The nation hadn't entered in yet, but the spies went in to see the first and the frightening city that they would be facing. We're going to be talking more about Jericho in weeks to come, but before the whole nation can get there, what do they have to do? They have to cross that tiny little line on that map, but a tiny little line on a map is a roaring river at your feet. They have to cross the fords of the Jordan River. Now, you're probably aware of this fact. Rivers have places that are best for crossing, places where the river narrows, where it's shallowest, where it's easiest to ford the river. To ford a river means a place where you can actually cross it. And usually, if the water does not, if the water remains high enough that you actually have to enter into it, fording it means either you're going to have a boat to cross it ferrying you across, or it's shallow enough that you can carry things through. Now, the Jordan River is not necessarily a very large river. It's nothing like, for instance, the Mississippi or the Missouri River. I don't know the largest rivers in the Philippines. I guess the seas are really the large bodies of water. We crossed that. Um, But 
you can recognize that the Jordan River is not necessarily a daunting river to cross at most times, but they are crossing in the spring. And in the spring, even this area, which is intended for fording, would overflow its banks. And that is because the Jordan is fed by snowmelt and rainwater, like most rivers. It comes down from the highlands that are in Lebanon. Lebanon, which actually comes from a term that means white because of its snowy mountains. The Golan Heights in Israel are also high enough that you can see snow on higher mountains, uh, even in, in the springtime. And so that snowmelt and the rains which come to Israel in the spring engorge the Jordan River. So that, as I mentioned, the time that they are being called to cross it is the most difficult time. Turn to the person next to you and say, God wants to make things hard. God wants to make things hard. Can you believe that I just made you say that? That just seems wrong. In the same way that if you go to the gym and you have a physical trainer, she wants to make things hard for you or he wants to make things hard for you. You know what I mean? Because he or she recognizes, hey, no pain, no gain. They don't want to make things hard for you, but they want to put weight on you. They want to stretch you. Amen. They want you to keep on doing it. Amen. They'll tell you, if you're just going to come one time and then not come back, you're not going to get any benefit from it. But if you're willing to commit, I'll be right there with you. I'll keep you going. And then you, when you start to say, hey, this is getting easier, then they'll say, oh, we need to put more weight on. That's the kind of hard that God wants to do for you. He wants to build you up. Amen. He wants to build us up together. We are his body after all. And you know what? Just like you love and care for your body, Jesus loves and cares for his. And just like you can look at your body and say, we need some work here. Jesus looks at us and says, I need some work here. There's some Christian calisthenics to be done. Crossing the river at flood stage is facing a weight that is going to make them stronger. God's going to strengthen their faith through this process. He's going to stop the waters and he's going to ask them to pick up weight. Stones so heavy that the men have to carry them on their shoulder. These are not little pebbles. These are big stones that they have to carry from the middle of the river all the way to the dry land and then into the place of the encampment and stack those stones to remember what God has done. The Lord says through Joshua, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders. That's their preparation. And you and I are in a season where God is saying, get ready for my wonders to be done through you. But don't just wait, consecrate. Will you say that? Don't just wait, consecrate. Don't just wait, consecrate. How do we consecrate? We'll let the book of Joshua show us today. Participate. The Lord says to Joshua, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel. There is an equality of interaction here. Presentation of God's faithfulness. Let this be a sign among you that the Lord is mighty. Consecration is an act of cleansing or setting apart a person or a thing or things or persons for a holy purpose. And by doing that, you make them holy. Think about this. Do you have some fine china in your home that you only bring out for the big festivals, for Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter? They're consecrated for those purposes. They're nicer. You don't want them to get damaged or dirtied for just everyday things. That's consecration of a kind. There's a much higher order of consecration that God is calling us to. But it is to make us holy and to solemnly dedicate ourselves to his service and to his goals.
So Joshua brings the people to the edge of the Jordan, and after three days, the officers are released to tell the people what they're going to do. They're going to watch for the Levitical priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. That's that chest that has the promises of God, the Ten Commandments of God, the manna that has been preserved, Aaron's staff that budded and blossomed. Those things are all in the Ark. They're going to carry those, the Levitical priests. The people can only follow from a distance. The distance is about a little over half a mile away because of the holiness of God. It was considered that the Lord himself sat on what is called the mercy seat. So God was there. He is so holy that if they got too close, they could be injured. Do you remember Uzzah later on in the days of David who will reach out and touch the ark to stabilize it when it's being transported and he dies because of the glory of God that shoots out like lightning from the ark. God's holiness is so great that you and I cannot come close to it unless he himself purifies it. But now we can come boldly to the throne of grace because of the purifying blood of Jesus Christ. Do not come near it, says the Lord, that you may know the way by which you shall go. So not only is he saying, watch out because there's such holiness here that it could endanger you, but he's also saying, you need to be able to see where he's going. You need to be able to stand back enough to see the guidance. For you have not passed this way before. PCF, you and I have not passed this way before. You may say, you know, in years past, the Lord did this and the Lord did that. Good. We commemorate that. We memorialize that. We don't forget it. But the Lord himself is saying, I'm taking you somewhere new. Amen. You haven't passed this way before. So look closely to me. Follow closely to me. Amen. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders. Then the Lord told Joshua that he would be exalted in the sight of the people. In other words, the Lord said, I'll make you a strong leader in their eyes. And he told him, you shall command the priests. When you come to the edge of the water, you stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. By this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will dispossess those Canaanites from before you. The Ark of the Covenant of the Master of all the earth. That's Joshua's own phrase. It's never used in the Torah. It's never used in the five books of Moses. In the Hebrew... It may sound to you like very similar kind of de description of God. And you may see it in your translation as Lord of all the earth. And you think, well, that sounds just like the kinds of things that, that Moses said. And it is like it, but the Hebrew words are unique here. It's not the only time they appear, but it's the first time in the Bible that this particular phrase is used. It shows me that the Lord is speaking to Joshua in a way that reflects the unique individualness, uh, individuality of Joshua's relationship. You also have an individual relationship with the Lord. Amen. And there are things that only you will say about God. They will be like what others say. They will reflect the one true God, but they'll be your words. And the Lord wants to bring that out of us. So the master of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan, says Joshua. And he's crossing seated here. Not a physical uh, human presence, but the divine presence. Glory cloud presence. This is a, a depiction of the Ark of the Covenant. And as I mentioned, within it are several items. The Ark itself is a consecrated thing. It is set apart for God. And it sets apart other things in it. So inside of it are the contents. As I mentioned, the tablets of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, 
the stone tablets that, that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. The remainder of manna, which had stopped coming at this point, but which they continued to remember what God had done. And manna is a symbol of God's word, and it is a foreshadow of the communion table that we will partake of next week. And also, as I mentioned, the blossoming budding staff of Aaron. And then between the cherubim angels that cover the mercy seat. Now, the mercy seat is mentioned in the New Testament in numerous places. And it is described as not only a physical space on the Ark of the Covenant, but a symbol of the mercy which God extends to us. And it was by that mercy that God stopped the waters. So the priests were called to stand there. The sole of their feet. Will you say that phrase? The sole of their feet. The sole of their feet. Do you remember what the Lord said through Moses in Deuteronomy and repeated to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1? Wherever the sole of your foot shall tread. There's something about our feet. In uh, Galatians chapter 6, we are told that we should put on the gospel on our feet. It's a preparation of peace. That peace means strength in warfare. That peace means dry ground in the wet places. That peace means you're able to stand in the fire and not be burned. That peace means that you bring good news of reconciliation to people who are lost in their sins. And wherever you carry that message, wherever your feet go, God is present there. And as you stand there, having done all, Paul says, stand. As you stand there, other people are able to enter into promise and to cross over into the things of God. How may we prepare in purity? We must be consecrated by the blood of the Lamb. The mercy seat is only pure because of the blood that was sacrificed. The author of Hebrews said, the blood of bulls and lambs and goats is not enough to purify our sin, but the blood of Jesus Christ is. You and I must be consecrated by the blood. In Hebrews 4, we're reminded we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way like us, but without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace. Amen. Friends, that's the mercy seat. Hallelujah. How can you be consecrated? Not by trying harder to be better, but by going directly to God. Amen. By coming to God and trusting in him. But yes, in that trust and out of that trust, helping others in his power. You will receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of the flood, in the time of need. But we need to do that together. We do it individually, of course. But we are called also corporately. The priests went out together so that all the nation together could cross over together and enter together. We are called to enter God's promises, participating together. The actions of each of us affect all of us, whether we want them to or not. That is a simple reality. The actions of each of us affect all of us. So let our actions be good. Let's build one another up on our most holy faith. Let's sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. Let's encourage with one another with words that give life. Let us speak the truth in love to one another. Let's pray for one another. Let's be patient with one another. Let's forgive one another. Let's hold one another accountable. 
and let us remind one another of our mutual promise in him. It was at this point in the passage that the Lord tells Joshua to choose one man from each tribe so that they would see they are participating together. He also talks about how the priests together are providing the performance of the promise. As they stand there, the waters will be cut off and stand in one heap. The word in Hebrew here is exactly the word used when it is describing the waters being walled up in heaps in the, in the Red Sea. When Israel crossed through the Red Sea. In other words, the Joshua generation is having their own new baptism. The Moses generation was baptized through the Red Sea and the Lord built up the waters in walls of heaps. Now the Lord is doing the same with the Jordan for the Joshua generation. And so you and I also have a fresh baptism in this season. The Jordan overflows all of its banks in this season and that's why there's so much water that it actually makes these heaps like hills around them. But look at where it stopped. It didn't stop right there. It stopped way up the river, a great distance up, miles away at a city called Adam. You and I would probably say it as Adam. And yes, it is the same word that forms the name Adam. I think there's something very significant about this. There's really no reason for the water to stop there. Yes. Commentators will also often talk about how this demonstrates the extraordinary power of God, that it's not just the river right there, but all the way up. But I think it's very, very specific. I think the Lord is saying there is a line of sin and disobedience that runs all the way from your forebear Adam all the way to you. But when you enter into my covenant, when you come under my blood, says Jesus Christ, I cut off the flow of sin all the way back at the source. What came from the first Adam has been cut off by the second Adam. And what was lost by the first Adam has been restored by the second Adam. The first Adam is the first human family. They had the same name. The man and woman both were first called Adam. But the second Adam is Jesus Christ. And you and I have his name now. That's why we're called Christians. Every sin, not only of yours, but all the way up the line, the sins of your father and mother and grandparents, all the way back to Adam, the Lord goes all the way back and halts it at the source. In your own life, things that go back to your childhood, things that go back very deep into your memory, the Lord is able to halt Amen. the effect of all of those things when you stand in his promise. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on that dry ground until all the nation had crossed. Hallelujah. How shall we stand together? Once again, the author of Hebrews has good counsel for us. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Amen. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Amen. And let us not neglect our meeting together. You're here this morning. You're fulfilling the words of Hebrew 10. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. It is very significant, your physical presence in this room. Being here as part of the congregation, bringing your offering and tithe into the storehouse, adding your prayer to the corporate time of prayer, adding your voice to the corporate time of worship, adding your hope and encouragement to the corporate body of Christ matters. If you're streaming with us online today, thank you 
for being with us in the spirit and tracking with us in the teaching. It matters and we are grateful. But I also want to say, if it's possible for you to be physically present, please be physically present. Not because we don't value what occurs online, but because we recognize that in coming face to face, there is something heart to heart and spirit to spirit that the Lord accomplishes. Don't forsake that. It doesn't mean we become legalistic about it. There's times of travel. There are moments when things occur. There may be times when you're under the weather and it's wise to stay home. That is understood. There are people who are not physically able to make that journey and we understand. You recognize the wisdom of this. It's not a legalistic notion. It is a promise of hope. If you will continue to gather together, the Lord will be present in the praises of his people. Encourage one another, especially now that the day of Christ's return is drawing near. And because of that, it's all the more important that you and I commemorate what God has done. I know my time is drawing short. I'm coming to the conclusion of the message. Bear with me because there's just a little bit more that needs to cross over into the new territory. God calls us to be a people of signs, signs and wonders. In fact, Jesus said, wait and consecrate, that is implied, I believe, for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit will enable you to do signs and wonders, not just so that you can look really groovy cool, not so that you can pride yourself on everything that God does through you, but so that you will present with power the testimony of Christ and witness to the reality of God. God calls us to be people like that. If we back away from that and say, well, that's really not the right attitude. People shouldn't be all caught up in signs and wonders. Listen, God is caught up in signs and wonders. Who are you to tell him to stop? And even if you do, he won't. But it may stop your participation in it. So you and I, we should recognize that God desires to do his wonders through us and make a testimony to the world that is presently around us and an ongoing presentation of his goodness to future generations. So all the nation finished crossing over in Joshua 4. And the Lord says, now take those 12 men, one from each tribe, and have them go out there. Can you imagine, by the way, and I speak now to the pastors of PCF, can you imagine the fatigue of the priests standing in the middle of the river? You're talking about millions of people crossing over. Hundreds of thousands of men. So if you multiply that by uh, of fighting age men, if you multiply that by teenagers, by children, by women, by the elderly, you're talking about a great company of people. So they are standing there for hours, hours, and they can't put it down. I speak now to ministry heads of PCF. I speak now to people who are in positions of leadership in the secular world, but because you belong to Jesus Christ, you are called to lead as a spiritual leader. You're a minister in your workplace. And I say, don't grow weary Amen. in standing. Amen. Paul says to, uh, to um, the Ephesians, having done all, stand. I was suddenly thinking, did I say Galatians earlier when I meant Ephesians? The power of editing. For those who are watching live, it's just nice to be reminded how fallible I am, right? It's good for me to be reminded of it too. Paul says, stand. Keep on standing. To the Galatians, Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. 
because you will reap a reward. Good thing that the priests continued to stand. Good thing they had the strength to. It is in part because they had consecrated themselves to that task. They had trained and prepared for it. It is worthy and wise to train and prepare yourself for those things to which God has called you. But I also want to encourage you, there's a reason why God has you standing. And you may feel like, how long do I have to stand here? And how long are these people going to take? And you may see some people straggling and you may feel like, boy, come on, get across because I can only carry this so much longer. But the Lord will give you the strength to stand. Amen. And there's more that needs to be done because these 12 men need to come in and pick up these heavy stones and now they've got to carry something heavy and they've got to carry it all the way and the Lord says why so that your children and your children's children will see these stones stacked up and say what are they doing here and you'll say they're a memorial they're a memorial of future generations so that they can see what God had done so all the people crossed over and they were led by the 40,000 of the two tribes and a half that weren't even gonna go in. Remember them that we've talked about before? Together they went in, including Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Those 40,000 warriors went first. And they actually arrayed in battle formation in the desert on the, on the uh, western side of the Jordan. So then after those stones were collected, the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up to the dry ground and the waters returned to their place and went back before. Now. Not only were there the 12 stones that they put out of the Jordan onto the dry land, but they also stacked up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, right where the feet of the priests were. So their standing there was also memorialized. The place where it happened and the place where it was fulfilled. The point of the promise given and the point of the promise fulfilled. Amen. And so it's repeated. These are a memorial, not only to your children, but to all the earth, that all the peoples of the earth may know and fear the Lord your God. As we come to our conclusion, I want to ask this question today. And the musicians can join me on the platform. I have a couple more slides to present, but we'll do it in an attitude that is preparing for prayer. What are our memorial stones, PCF? What is your memorial stone today, friend? I want to suggest to you that as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Christ, it's our lives. It's our very lives. We are called to be living stones, according to Peter. As you come to Jesus, the living stone, Peter writes in the New Testament, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual temple to house the presence of God, to have the mercy seat of God within you, to be a holy priesthood that can intercede, offering spiritual sacrifices, a living sacrifice of your life, according to Paul in Romans 12. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. I have called you by name, says the Lord, Isaiah 43.1. You are mine, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. You were just a disjointed rabble. But now... You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but while we were yet at enmity with God, Christ died for us. Now you have received mercy. You are a living stone. And Jesus himself said, on that stone, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail with him. So 
Returning to the words of the author of Hebrews, do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now. It's what we need now. It's what we need in this world now. So that you will continue to do God's will. So that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God through the living sacrifice of your life, Romans 12. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. That's a promise from the time of Isaiah that is repeated in the time of Hebrews and is true for you and I today. And my righteous ones, says the Lord, will live by faith, not by sight, by faith. But I will take no pleasure, says the Lord, in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away, says the author of Hebrews, says the pastor of your church, says the Lord to your soul, because we are not those who turn from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. And friend, I want to say to you, if you think, well, that doesn't include me today, then today is the day to walk into the waters of God, to get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to give your life to Jesus Christ so that your soul can be saved. But even more than that, not only that you would have eternal life, but that you would have eternal life abundantly today. Oh, Lord God, we offer up our lives to you as living sacrifices. We offer up this church to you as a living temple. We offer up our needs to you today and say, Lord, we trust you to provide, to guide. Now, Lord, draw us together as one, that in one accord, we may be filled with the fire of your spirit and proclaim in every tongue to every tribe the truth that the one and only Lord God of Israel is God of all the earth, that Jesus Christ is his Messiah, our Savior, that Jesus, you are coming to judge the quick and the dead and that all who put their trust in you will be saved. You are the only way, the only truth, and the only life, Lord Jesus. To you we give our lives and all praise now and forever. Amen.